chapter 19, starting with verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. The parade around Jesus was picking up pace and energy as they headed toward Jerusalem. There were healings and teachings. The crowd was growing, and they were in such a fervor that they assumed that they would just sweep through Jericho and carry right into Jerusalem. Jesus would take things over in the holy city, and they would finally get what's theirs. But as they came into Jericho, Jesus spotted a man in a tree. And all of a sudden, the parade came to a grinding halt. Zacchaeus, come down, he said. Can't you picture Zacchaeus up there moving leaves in front of his face trying to hide? Zacchaeus probably assumed Jesus would just pass on by. But sometimes when you put yourself in the right place, amazing things happen. Back in 2003, a woman named Dorothy Fletcher had a heart attack on a transatlantic flight from Manchester, England to Orlando, Florida. And when an attendant asked if any doctors were on board, 15 cardiologists stood up. Turned out they were all on their way to a conference. Needless to say, Dorothy survived. When Lewis and Clark learned there was no water passage through the Rockies, they realized they needed horses to cross the terrain but all the horses belonged to the local Shoshone tribe, so they asked Sacagawea to broker a deal with the tribe's leader. When she arrived for the meeting, she discovered that the leader of the tribe was her brother. Needless to say, the team got its horses. These stories are almost too good to be true, right? Sometimes if we just put ourselves in the right place, we see the grace of the world open up. And that is Zacchaeus' story. And it's this capstone story of Luke. In Luke's mind, this is a miracle. And it seems to begin with a small man putting himself in the right place at the right time. But it also goes to show how a community shapes each other. For better and for worse. As I was reading this recently, I came to think about that story from Exodus. Do you remember the story from Exodus of Moses seeing the glory of God pass by him on Mount Sinai? Moses is is really depressed at the time. The people aren't listening to him. He's worried that he's a failure, and so he prays to see God's glory. And God responds. God puts him, the story goes, in the cleft of a rock and tells Moses, I will remove my hand from your eyes and you will see my back. The Hebrew says something more like, 
you shall see where I just was. Much like Moses, Zacchaeus put himself in a place to see the Lord as the Lord passed by. Moses went into the cleft of the rock on Mount Sinai. Zacchaeus climbed a tree to see Jesus as he went by. Both prepared themselves to welcome God. Both put themselves in the right place. Of course, when we picture Zacchaeus, we don't picture someone as dignified as, as Moses or even Charlton Heston, right? We picture something more like Danny DeVito playing Zacchaeus. But what happens here clarifies or maybe even reshapes some of Jesus' own teaching thus far in Luke. First, Luke says Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. This means he managed a large group of tax collectors, basically where they'd pay the Romans up front and then collect taxes in excess of those payments, sometimes in significant excess, to make their own living. So Zacchaeus was seen as a collaborator with the empire, someone on the other side, a traitor. Basically, he was the worst. Also, let's look at his name. Zacchaeus was a name derived from the Hebrew word for righteous or upright. So he was a wee little righteous man. I wonder if he ever lived up to his name. Perhaps he never lived up to his name until this day when Jesus came passing by. He was small, his righteousness maybe modest, but it was enough because a little faith can move mountains. A little righteousness can welcome God and open us to the joy of salvation. In this gospel, the exemplars of faith are surprising. Luke always lifts up surprising people, like a pregnant teenage girl named Mary who finds favor with God. Her son Jesus tells parables about a good Samaritan and a grateful Samaritan he meets. The good Samaritan goes out of his way to help and heal a hurt man on the road to Jericho. The grateful Samaritan was healed by Jesus along with others. But this Samaritan is the only one to return and give thanks to Jesus. Jews and Samaritans fought over religion and politics. They were extremely suspicious of each other. And many Jews would avoid even going into Samaritan territory. Quite literally, they would go out of their way to avoid it. Jesus told a parable comparing the prayers of a Pharisee and a tax collector, where the Pharisee thanked God that he wasn't like the tax collector while the tax collector genuinely prayed for forgiveness. Well, Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector, seems to genuinely pray for forgiveness and also works to amend anyone he has wronged. And Luke, I mean, he's just told us the story of of the rich young ruler who runs up to Jesus and asks Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. And when he tells Jesus he has kept all the commandments since his youth, Jesus tells him to go sell his possessions and give the money to the poor. And this is when Jesus says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The people standing there said, This is absurd. Who can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. Zacchaeus is the camel that makes it through the eye of a needle. He's the miracle, and he's a symbol of grace and inclusion. 
He's the paradoxical culmination of Luke's message about what the gospel means. Its implications, its, its abiding presence. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. But by the end of Luke, it's more like blessed are the poor and Zacchaeus. And maybe even blessed are the poor and Zacchaeus and all those who would follow him up a tree to catch a glimpse of God go by. All of these parables and encounters are set up for this moment with Zacchaeus. It all leads to this final encounter before Jesus enters Jerusalem. What we have here is not just a sweet children's story. It's a message central to the gospel itself. Because there's no mercy for me if there's no mercy for others. Notice the transformation in Zacchaeus is met with suspicion by the people around Jesus. The very people forgiven and healed aren't ready to share the grace they have received with this man who they view as their enemy. It's almost like if they can't despise him, they don't even know who they are. That's the problem. The poison we release within ourselves as we despise others is the poison that slowly erodes the soul and destroys communities. Hatred always backfires. Its origin is comparative thinking. The binary mind tells us we are good because they are bad. The gospel tells us we are good because we are God's. As it turns out, our faith can easily transform into an entitlement if we begin to compare ourselves to others. Faith is a bountiful richness that must be stewarded with grace. Faith without mercy for ourselves and others can become a wedge that cuts us off from the very grace that gives us life. It takes a certain balance to make it through the narrow road of justice and mercy. The people hated that Jesus gave Zacchaeus attention. They hated that Jesus went to his house. And by letting this hatred dictate their discipleship, they were putting themselves in the wrong place. Zacchaeus was climbing trees to see God. The village and the parade around Jesus was now despising Jesus because he was merciful to someone they didn't like. This should go as a warning to all of us. When you're upset because someone else is forgiven, when you want to hang on to your anger, when you relish licking your wounds and you begin to really, really like that feeling, you get the adrenaline of anger at someone or some situation, you need to ask yourself why you're getting upset. In that moment, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves, am I angry because I wasn't given this grace? All of a sudden, it might become clear we're, we're a lot like that older son in the parable of the prodigal. We're upset at God's mercy. And we're wondering about God's judgment because we think God should judge like we do. Well, thank God that God's justice isn't our justice. And what we'll find is that if we can forgive as God forgives, we might actually be able to accept the grace that's already ours. Instead of relying on comparing ourselves to others, we can instead rely on faith that we are good, that we are loved, no matter what the village says. My dear friend Alan told me a story once about a saint he knows. 
Roger was a friend from his church, and Roger was a father figure to his nephew, a faithful and quiet servant and contributor of his church, and he was also a devoted Bible study leader to the handful of men who showed up to his apartment every Monday night. He was a friend and encourager whom Alan could always count on, and uh, Roger always ended his emails to Alan signed like this, You are stuck with my love. In one email, he told Alan about his own sense of call. Part of St. Roger's devotion comes from a call to ministry he felt as a young man growing up, the son of a pastor in the Midwest. But ultimately, as a college student, he was discouraged from this path by his denomination and college religion department because it had become, it had come to be known that he was gay. This was the 1980s, and Roger experienced painful responses and basically excommunication from his church. But amidst all that, he held on to his faith and his deep sense of call. And after college, he began taking seminary classes and began looking for ways he could serve people who also might be trying to hang on to their faith in the midst of challenges. He kept coming closer to people others kept at a distance because he had been one of those people himself. You see, some people have to climb trees to see Jesus over the shoulders of others, you know. Roger ended up serving as a chaplain at a small jail, leading Bible studies, providing pastoral counseling to inmates and families, and leading worship services every week. He had trouble at first trying to think of topics and sermons that would be helpful to these inmates. I mean, what could he, a young man, share with guys so hardened by life? Roger writes, it took me a long time to figure it out, but I ultimately realized that the inmates and I needed the same message. The saint and the prisoner needed the same prayer. And Roger summed up that, that prayer with the phrase, Lord, have mercy on me. The tax collector and the parade of disciples around Jesus need the same grace. Mercy and compassion form our faith and remind us that our salvation is wrapped up in the salvation of others. And that salvation is a present thing. It's not just for the sweet by and by, but it's an active reality now when we welcome those who Jesus loves. Think about how you've been shaped by the places you put yourself your neighborhood, your school, your work, your church. Sooner or later, we all need the grace of our neighbors. Father Greg Boyle suggests we should stand in awe of what people have to carry rather than stand in judgment at how they carry it. And that really, that is the boundless compassion of God that bridges the unbridgeable between us. The prophet Micah says, Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly. Well, if we place ourselves along that walk in the way of Christ, surely the Lord will come by and will catch a glimpse of the grace we've desired. <laughs>